Glad to be here with you this fine morning. Really love that worship, huh? It was good. That last song, It Is Well, um, really touches us, Tiffany and I. We lived in Jerusalem for three years, and uh, there was a graveyard next to where we were living. Don't recommend living to, next to a graveyard, but, uh, and if, as soon as you walk in the gate, um, the first gravestone is Horatio Spafford, who wrote that song. And he believed so wholeheartedly that the Messiah's return is so eminent that he came to Jerusalem to fulfill the rest of his ministry until he died there. And his bones are buried there, waiting for the resurrection. And that's the message I really want to share with you guys this morning. If, for those of you who don't know me, my name is John Davidson. My wife is Tiffany. Uh, we work for an agency called Chosen People Ministries, where we share the gospel with Jewish people around the world. Our agency has been around for 125 years. A lot of people don't know that. There was a rabbi who was not a believer, and he, uh, he lived in Europe, and he was reading through the book of Daniel, and he realized that the prophecies in the book of Daniel were pointing to Jesus, and he gave his life to the Lord. Uh, his wife divorced him. He was excommunicated from synagogue, and he came to New York to establish Chosen People Ministries. So we're very grateful for him. And his legacy has been carried on through the Holy Spirit because God cares about the Jewish people. Um, our mission's um, priority is to pray for, evangelize, and to disciple Jewish people and to teach other fellow believers to do the same. So this is one of the privileges we have is to share a message from a Jewish perspective and help you to realize the importance of Jewish evangelism. Like I said, uh, my wife and I lived in Israel for three, three years, and we worked in Jerusalem where there's 600,000 Jews. Now we're in L.A., what we call Little Jerusalem, because there's 600,000 Jews in L.A. too. So there's plenty of ministry. We had about 11 missionaries in Jerusalem, but only two in L.A., so there's a huge, huge need. So we're grateful to be there. If you brought your Bibles, please turn with me to Matthew chapter 17. I know it will be on the screen for you this morning, but it is good to have your Bibles. Matthew chapter 17. A lot of people don't know this, but the Jewish people believe in two messiahs, and they're given two names. One is called the Messiah, son of Joseph, and the other one is called Messiah, son of David. Now, what they mean by this is that these two messiahs will represent Joseph in the, in, uh, in the Torah and represent David later. And they believe that they come in two different time periods. Now, think about Joseph's life for a minute. Joseph was rejected by his brothers. He was wrongfully imprisoned. And then toward the end of his life, he was raised to the right hand of Pharaoh. Does that ring a bell to you guys at all? Then later, another messiah comes in Judaism who's called Messiah, son of David, where he will establish his throne in Jerusalem and he will rule and reign in Jerusalem forever. Now, does that ring a bell to you guys? While the Jewish people thought it was two people coming at two different time periods, Christians recognize and understand that it's one person who comes in two time, in two time periods and that his name is Jesus Christ. It's important to recognize this because of what we're about to read here in Matthew 17. I'm giving a message here on Israel in the last days. I'm going to focus on Messiah, son of David. 
where uh, he comes again to establish his throne in Jerusalem. Now, Jesus gives his disciples a depiction of what that person would look like when he would come. In Matthew 17, 1, it says, After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the inner three, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before him. He was shown in all of his glory. And his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. A depiction of who Jesus is in the book of Revelation. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah, who are important figures. Um, I don't have time to get into all this, but I want to focus on one thing here, talking with him. And Peter uh, said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I would make three tents here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, which is a very Jewish thing. Verse 5, he was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, and this is what I want to focus on, is what the voice said. This is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. For hundreds of years before this point, there was something called prophetic silence where the prophetic voice wasn't speaking for so long. And the Jewish people began to long to hear the voice of God. So much so that they developed a tier system of what is the most desirable way to hear from God. First, it was through visions and dreams, and then it was through a prophet, and then there's something called the bot kol, which is the highest form of something that's desirable in what they, and them hearing the voice of God. And what that is, is when they hear directly from God. So that prophetic silence that was for 400 years has now been broken, first at Jesus' baptism, but now here in Matthew 17. The heavens split open, and the voice from the clouds spoke. This is my beloved son, with whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. Now on the surface... It is rich enough to hear that God said in one sentence that this person truly is the Messiah, the one that we've been waiting for for thousands of years, and he's here on this mountain. But if you're Jewish, it's even much deeper than that. Now, in synagogue, uh, it runs very similar to how churches run. Uh, If a rabbi would say that all scripture speaks of one thing, they would have to pull the same concept from all three sections of their Bible. Their Bible is our Old Testament, same words, but just different ordering. So we have five sections, the Pentateuch, the historical writings, the wisdom literature, major and minor prophets. For them, they have three sections, the Torah, the writings, and the prophets. Now, if you wanted to say that this is certainly what God is saying, and you can etch this in stone, you would have to pull same concept from all those three sections. This is my beloved son comes from Psalm 2 where it says, I will tell a degree, you are my son, today I have begotten you. With whom I'm well pleased comes from Isaiah 42, where it says, my servant in whom my soul delights or is well pleased with. And lastly, listen to him, the last part of the sentence, three words in English, only two in Greek and Hebrew, very significant words because it comes from Deuteronomy 18, where Moses, the great Moses, said, don't look to me, There will come a time when a prophet like me will rise among your brothers. Listen to him. Deuteronomy 18 is from the Torah. Psalm 2 is from the writings. And Isaiah 42 is from the prophets. You can etch this in stone. Jesus Christ is the Messiah. He is the Son of God. I think that's a good introductory for our message this morning. Because I want you to understand, without a doubt, that Jesus fulfills all things. 
And this is the message that we like to proclaim to Jewish people. Shortly after I got saved, when I was 20, um, I went to Bible college. And it was at a time that I was barely learning who the Apostle Paul was. And I remember just going to Bible college and just soaking up as much as I can learn. And after a year of being in Bible college, I said, Lord, what am I here for? What do you want me to do with my life? And he made it abundantly clear that he wanted me to serve the Jewish people. Now, I'm not Jewish. I didn't grow up in a Jewish home. I didn't have any Jewish friends. I didn't know anything about Judaism. So it was kind of bizarre to me. But through a series of events, one is I was part of a prayer group that I walked into, and they assigned me to pray for the Jewish people. Next, I had a Jewish professor who was very open about her Jewishness. Third was other students that were friends of mine uh, told me that they were Jewish. And lastly, I ran into a Jews for Jesus guy at Biola, which is where I was attending, and he invited me to a Jewish evangelism, evangelism seminar, and I said, all right, Lord, I understand what you're doing now. <laughs> so I accepted the call, and here I am today, uh, been with this ministry for six years, and have been pursuing a ministry to Jewish people for 10. Now, one of the, the reasons why I share that is one of the uh, blessings of doing Jewish ministry is understanding the Bible from a Jewish perspective. And we get to share this. We get to bless you with sharing a message like this. So let's continue our message now. Um, on the screen here, you'll see a passage from Le Leviticus 23. Leviticus 23, the whole chapter, don't have time to go through it. But it mentions every feast of Israel. Now, the feasts are important because in Judaism, that's the central focus of the teachings of Judaism. is surrounded around these feasts that are celebrated throughout the year. Now, when we lived in Israel, it was like there was a party always going on because they were celebrating all the time. Uh, but one of the things that we do in our Jewish ministries, we show through what they already experience how it points to the Messiah. So the seven feasts are, now I want to focus on the latter three because it really focuses on Messiah's return. But just to give you a little bit of context, let's read these first few verses here. It says, The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, these are the appointed feasts, now, quote, appointed there, of the Lord that you shall proclaim as holy convocations. They are my appointed feasts. Now, the word appointed feasts there is unique word in Hebrew. It's moedim. It's the word that's used very early on in the Bible in Genesis chapter 1. There it refers to seasons. Now, seasons are a time on a calendar that's fixed every year. God promised that he would continue the seasons until his return. But it's also used in a prophetic sense. It refers to that Jesus fulfills these feasts at their proper time. And that's why he calls them my appointed feasts. The first feast on the Jewish calendar of the seven that's outlined in Leviticus 23. Again, we don't have time to read it, but I'll just summarize them for you. Passover is the first one. And Passover is very significant. If you haven't been to a Messianic Passover, I recommend that you go. Um, I do have a video on YouTube that you can watch if you want. Uh, Passover is significant. Well, what did Jesus do to fulfill Passover? Well, he died as a Passover lamb on Passover. Now, if you, the, for those of you who don't understand, know the story of uh, Passover, it's the longest celebrated feast in, in world history. It's been celebrated for over 3,500 years. And it was when the Egyptians were in bondage in Egypt for 400 years, God said in the last plague, in order for the angel of destruction to pass over your house, where we get the word Passover from, you had to take the blood of the lamb 
and paint it on your doorposts and on your lintel. Now, it's very specific in how it says that, by the way, because it says you're supposed to take a hyssop branch and dip it in the blood of the spotless and blameless lamb. And what's cool about that is that Jesus, when he was on the cross in the Gospel of John, only in that Gospel, it says, he said, in order to fill all things, I thirst. And I'm thirsty, by the way. <laughs> he, someone stood by and took a hyssop branch, very specific, touched, uh, dipped it in gall, which is sour wine, which represents blood in Judaism, and touched it to his lips. And he said, it is finished. So the last thing he did on his last breath was fulfill Passover on the very day. These are my appointed feasts. Now, here's something interesting. It doesn't say who you need to be in that house. It doesn't say what things that you've accomplished in your life. It doesn't say if you're a Jew or Gentile. It doesn't say what sins you've committed in your life. What matters is, is that you have the blood of the Lamb. That's the gospel from the Old Testament, ladies and gentlemen. That's all you need. That's sufficient enough to communicate the gospel to a Jewish person. So if you forget everything I say this morning, remember that one. <laughs> you know, that's good news. And it's good news to me. Uh, seven years ago, I stepped foot in this church, even though I grew up down the street. Uh, I stepped foot in this church seven years ago and shared my testimony. In 2005, I woke up in an abandoned house, and it was just the right time of the morning that uh, you could see sun rays peek through the blinds. And I stepped underneath those sun rays to feel the warmth of the sun. And uh, um, it, it gave me, it reminded me of when I was a child that even though I had a troubled childhood, the thing that brought me joy was feeling the warmth of the sun. And I let out a gas of air and I said I was going to try to get clean one last time. I was an intravenous drug user. And I stepped out of that abandoned house, uh, this was 17 years ago, and uh, never to, to return again. So praise the Lord for that. I walked down the street, and I asked somebody for 50 cents, and the first person I asked gave it to me, and I immediately put it in a payphone. It was the best 50 cents I ever spent in my life. I called somebody for help. The person consented to pick me up under the condition that he would take me to a sober living house. And I said, well, that's why I'm calling you. And I tried to communicate to him where I was, but he didn't recognize the place I was standing. So we met at a mutual place, and I'm glad it worked out that way because it was a couple-mile walk from where I was standing. But even though this happened almost 20 years ago, I remember this day as if it were yesterday. It was a beautiful day in Southern California. Crystal blue sky, birds are chirping, flowers are blooming, grass is green, but it was all like black and white to me because I was dying inside. I didn't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. I didn't have my sins forgiven. I was bankrupt in every way, spiritually, emotionally, financially, relationally. Burned my bridges with my family so much that I called my mother a few days prior, asked her for a blanket. She said, sorry, and she hung up the phone. I realize now why she had to do that, and I'm glad that she did. But the point is, is I burned all my bridges my bank accounts were closed. My credit cards went to collections. I was evicted from my apartment. My car was impounded. Just prior to my eviction, I was robbed and everything was stolen from me, including my bed sheets and silverware. What I wore that day when I was walking down that street was what I owned. I was a very sick person. Uh, 
I weighed about 110 pounds. I refuse to tell you how much I weigh today, but there's a significant <laughs> difference. I realized if I were any lower, it'd be six feet underground. And it was in that mo moment of complete despair, for the first time in my life, I cried out to God. And I said, God, if you're real, please help me. And I tell you guys today that I know that the Lord heard that prayer because I'm standing before you today sober. And not only that, but he took somebody off the streets had to serve the Jewish people and took me all the way to Israel to bring the message to them. It shows you that God doesn't need somebody powerful, able, wealthy to use us, but he chooses to use us so that it might bring glory to his name. Now back to Passover, it doesn't matter who you are in that house. It doesn't matter what sins you've committed in your past. What matters is, is that you have the blood of the spotless and blameless lamb painted over your doorpost and over your lintel. And that's the gospel message. Three days later is another Jewish feast called the Feast of First Fruits. Can you think of anything Jesus did three days after he, he offered himself on the cross? Do you think it's a coincidence that it fell on another Jewish holiday? It says in 1 Corinthians 15 that Jesus is the first fruits from the dead. He fulfilled this holiday. Next holiday is the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which is Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread is where we get communion from. The bread without leaven represents Jesus' body. The Jewish people give it a particular name called the bread of affliction because it reminds them of the afflictions they faced when they're in bondage in Egypt. And so it's like they're broken. And so when Jesus took the bread of affliction and broke it and said, this is my body, he took that affliction upon himself, which represents this holiday. Leaven represents sin, and Jewish people knew that. And so when uh, it says in the Gospels that in preparation for Passover, Jesus walked onto the Temple Mount. And it was at this time that the Jewish people rid their house of leaven. They look under their fridge and under their... Uh, uh, their tables and on their window seals looking for bread because they want to rid their house of leaven. So Jesus walked onto the Temple Mount and began to overturn the money changers' tables. And he calls it, My house shall be a house of prayer. And that's because Jewish people watching him do that recognized exactly what he was doing, was he was ridding his house of leaven. Fifty days later, from the Feast of First Fruits is another Jewish holiday. Can you think of what Jesus promised he would do not too long after he ascended into heaven? Well, 50 days later, he sent his Holy Spirit. Pentecost, pente, means 50. It's 50 days from that holiday to the next holiday, which is called Feast of Weeks. I know this is a lot of information, and actually you can give a message on each one of these feasts, but I'm just giving you a quick overview to focus on the last three. Now, there is a relationship between the coming of the Holy Spirit and what the Jewish people celebrate and commemorate on this holiday called the Feast of Weeks. First, Feast of Weeks means the same thing as Pentecost in Hebrew. It's a very similar name. Two is, well, in Acts chapter 2, God came down in the form of the Holy Spirit. In Exodus 19, which correlates with this because the Jewish people commemorate on this holiday when Moses received the law on Mount Sinai. God comes down in a very thunderous way on Mount Sinai. So there's a parallel. But there's also a contrast. 
The contrast is, is um, in Exodus 19, uh, when Jesus, or I'm sorry, when Moses uh, was coming down off the mountain with the tablets of stone and he saw a golden calf being made at the base, he dropped the stones and he ran down the mountain and uh, um, the, the Levites rose up and slayed 3,000 men. Fast forward to Acts chapter 2, how many men were saved? 3,000. Well, I don't think it's a coincidence. I hope you're recognizing now that there's a parallel there and a God was speaking to the Jewish people at Pentecost. Now moving on to the feasts that um, correspond to what I'm, the message I'm going to be giving this morning. Um, at first, though, I want to mention a Jubilee. Jubilee is not one of the seven, but it's a very significant holiday because it happens every 50 years. What it represents is very significant because it has to do with the liberation of God's people, but also restoration of the land. Now, we don't know when Jubilee occurs because when the temple is destroyed in 70 AD, all the records were destroyed with it. So we don't know when Jubilee occurs. But the Jewish people in Jerusalem, when we live there, they blow the shofar, the ram's horn, to commemorate Jubilee every year because they don't know what year it falls on. So, um, but I think prophetically, just like all the holidays, you could see something in history that points to Jesus Christ. Now, in uh, 1917, which I think it was the Jubilee year, it was something called the British Mandate, where the Jewish people were given freedom in their homeland before it became a state in 1948. Now, if you add exactly 50 years from 1917, you get 1967, which was the Six-Day War, where the Jewish people recaptured Jerusalem and made it a state. Uh, made it their capital for the first time in modern history. Now, if you add exactly 50 years from 1967, you get, I know a lot of math this morning, hope you guys are awake. Uh, in 2017, is 50 years exactly after that. Well, something significant happened. We, we were living in Jerusalem in 2017, and a helicopter flew overhead and landed in our grocery store parking lot. President Trump came off that helicopter, and he came for one particular person, uh, reason, was to recognize Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. Was it a coincidence that it happened in 2017? Well, I don't think so. Um, God is sovereign not just over biblical events, but he's sovereign over history. And if he's sovereign over the Bible, if he's sovereign over history, you can be sure that he'll be sovereign over our lives. Us missionaries were not just looking forward to restoration of the land, which is one part of Jubilee, but liberation of God's people, which is the other part of Jubilee. So in 2017, we worked for an online ministry where we'd bring the gospel to Jewish people um, online who were afraid to encounter a Christian face-to-face. -face. And we'd get about three to five requests every week. And then when the Jubilee shofar was blown in 2017, then we got 300 requests the week after that. And then 300 requests the week after that. I truly believe that God is sovereign over that time. And when that shofar was blown, the liberation of God's people, the Jewish people, began. It says in Romans 11 that there's a partial hardening given to the Jews until the fullness of the Gentile comes in. Could it be that recently that that shift has been made, where now the gospel is going to the Jewish people? I think it just shows you the day and age that we live in today. The era that we live in the history that is being made now. And yet, God is sovereign over it all. Now, we might see all the issues that are happening in this day and age with COVID and political unrest and just different things that are going on, wars and rumors of wars. But all this should encourage us in some way to recognize that there will come a day 
when we'll see Jesus coming through the clouds. What a day that will be, huh? What, which leads me to the next holiday called the Feast of Trumpets. Can you think of anything of the Messiah's return that has to do with trumpets? I don't know about you, but when I read the book of Revelation, there's a lot of trumpet blasts going on. The Jewish people call this holiday the unknown day or hour, and the reason why is because it's the only Jewish holiday that's celebrated on a new moon, which on a new moon or a new month, you don't exactly know when it occurs because it could be on this day or that day because there might be a little bit of a sliver left on a moon, so it's not new. So they call it the unknown day or hour. It's celebrated for two days. Secondly is the Jewish people blow the shofar in the service, and one of them is called the Tekiah Hagadol, which is the great trumpet blast at the end that sounded with a really long blast, and there's a lot of parallel there with prophecy. Um, and thirdly is they read passages that, that refer to the Messiah's return, even though there's still a veil over their eyes. One is from Exodus 19, which I mentioned earlier in this message, about Mount Sinai, it says that you're not allowed to touch the mountain or go up the mountain into the presence of God until you hear the trumpet blast. Secondly, as they read from Psalm 47, a short psalm that is a psalm about when the Messiah as king comes, he will come with the sound of the trumpet. Thirdly is Genesis 22 about the sacrifice and binding of Isaac. Now, uh, what God provided in place of Isaac who Abraham did not kill, was a ram caught in by his horns in a thicket, which is what the Jewish people use as a trumpet. It reminds them of the salvation that God will provide. The next holiday, 10 days later, is called Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. The Jewish people give it a nickname called Yomah in Aramaic, which means the day, which is how the book of Hebrews references the Messiah's return and the Day of Judgment. There is a collection of writings called the Talmud, and it's about 22 volumes long. It takes you a lifetime to read. Um, I wouldn't recommend it, but I've read through some of it, and I've come across this passage in it that um, it, now it's more of a commentary on the Torah, but there's some history things in there as well. So some of the things that were transmitted orally that were in that was when the temple was still standing before it was destroyed in 70 A.D., now, they said that 40 years before the temple is destroyed, so if you do the math, 70 minus 40 is 30 AD, which is around the time of Jesus' life and ministry, death, burial, and resurrection. There are three things happening at the temple. One is that the temple doors blew open every night, and which I think symbolizes God's presence left the temple because Jesus was that temple. Two is that the menorah candlelight that's supposed to remain lit 24 hours a day, seven days a week, blew out every night, which represents God's presence also left. And lastly, the Jewish people had a ritual that on the Day of Atonement, which is this holiday, they would take a blood of a goat and they would dip it, a rag in it and tie it to the temple door. Now, when they would come back the next morning, if that rag was white, it meant their sins have been forgiven, they've been made white as wool. But if it remained red, it means that their sins were not forgiven and they remained red as crimson. For 40 years straight, until the temple is destroyed, it was red as crimson because Jesus ultimately was that sacrifice. One other cool thing about this, the word atonement, the day of atonement, is in English, is three words squished into one, at one meant, where we become at one with God. But in Hebrew, kippur, 
uh, it's a little bit more significant than that. In Genesis chapter 6, it's a, it's a word that's used for tar, uh, uh, a substance that's used to uh, pr- uh, protect wooden structures from the elements. So in Genesis chapter 6, uh, God told Noah to build an ark and cover it with pitch, which is this word kippur. Um, and it was the pitch that protected Noah and his family and the animals from the waters of destruction. And it's the same thing with atonement. It's the covering that protects us from the wrath of God. Lastly, uh, the Feast of Tabernacles, a very significant holiday. Uh, it's celebrated for seven days, and it's called the Feast of Harvest. That's the nickname for it. Now, the Feast of Ta- Tabernacles commemorates when the Israelites were uh, in, wandering the wilderness, where God's presence with it was with them, cloud by day and fire by night. Uh, secondly, um, it's very significant because it's at the end of the harvest season. Now, I want to show you something because I'm going to close with this in John chapter 7. Uh, Jesus uses the feast to communicate. I think it's going to be on the screen there. Jesus uses the feast to communicate to his people. And uh, this, the significant thing about the Feast of Tabernacles is it does have to do with God's presence dwelling with his people. It says in John 1 that the word became flesh and tabernacled among us. That word for dwell comes from the Old Testament word for tabernacle. So when Jesus took on human flesh and was born into the world, that's when God's presence was with us. So when he comes back, it will represent and fulfill this holiday at the end of days. Now, I'm going to read it from my Bible so I don't have to turn my neck here, but... um, In the Gospel of John, what's different about John and the Synoptic Gospels is that the Gospel of John is oriented around Jerusalem, while the Synoptic Gospels are oriented around Jesus' Galilean ministry to the north. So Jesus speaks to the religious leaders by using the feasts throughout the Gospel of John, and this is an example of it. So let me just share this with you. Now, uh, the Feast of Sukkot, the Feast of Tabernacles, happens around October. It's it's different because they use a different calendar, but... It's right around that time, which is a very dry time of the year. So they have a very similar climate to what we have here in the West, in California. They have uh, the winter months and then the rainy season in the spring as the stuff starts sprouting. And then in the summer, it dries out. And then by October, it's really dry. So they had three sources of water in ancient Israel. They didn't have irrigation systems like what we have today. The first source of water, least desirable, is called cistern water. It's a reservoir that's dug underground. It collects rainwater. It's muddy. It's contaminated. You only drink it if it's an emergency. One level up from that is well water. Well, you dig, you dig low below the water table. The water is filtered by the sediment, but it's still stagnant in a sense, so it's not the most desirable source of water. Then lastly, the last source of water and most desirable and most coveted type of water in ancient Israel is given a particular name. It's called Maim Chaim, which translates living water, which represents a spring that is constantly flowing and constantly giving life. So in that context, during this feast, Jesus says this in John chapter 7, on the last day of the feast, because it's celebrated for seven days, the great day, which is what the last day is called, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, now at this time everyone was thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, 
out of his heart will flow rivers of what? Living water. Jesus is that water that we drink from will never thirst again. Even in the driest time of this earth, the driest season of your life, Jesus says, come and drink from me and you'll be satisfied forever. Amen? Now, for if there's anyone in this congregation that feels like maybe they don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, if they haven't come to the water and drank to where they would never thirst again, the scriptures say today is the day of the Lord's salvation. Amen, congregation? For those of you who are believers, um, just want to mention this before I pray, is that this is our, um, our, our pamphlet, our prayer pamphlet, that has information on it. And we have a table in the back. And um, I just ask you to come back there and rip out this little part in here. Keep this part because this is uh, so that you can pray for us. Maybe you can put it on your refrigerator or use it as a bookmark. And it tells you a little bit about our ministry. This part, now on the back of it, it says, if you have a Jewish friend, write their name here. So I just recommend, if I know a lot of you have Jewish friends, so if you could just put their name down there, and if you feel so inclined to give their information, they won't know that you gave it to us, but we reach out to them and share the gospel with them. So this is one of the ways that we can reach Jewish people. Secondly, is that there's information on here if you feel like the stuff that you heard this morning was kind of exciting or you want to learn more. We do training, and we also teach people how to reach Jewish people, reach your Jewish neighbor. So there's some information here that you can fill out, and we'll send you information on that. Thirdly, is that there, if you put your information in even just your email, you'll receive Tiffany and my monthly newsletter um, where you can keep up to date on our ministry. And then lastly, there is a little section here if you want to know more about supporting our particular ministry and supporting us as your missionaries. So I um, hope you guys enjoy this message this morning. Let's pray, and we'll close out. Lord, we just thank you so much for sending your son, Jesus Christ, the Messiah of Jew and Gentile, the Savior of the world. We thank you for what he's come to do, and we thank you that we know and we believe that there will be a day that he comes through the clouds and restores all things. And Lord, we look forward to that day, and we long for that day, and help us to walk faithfully before you until that day. We pray in your precious name. Amen.